And a stratolite has the ability to, to do what we call station keeping, meaning that it's, it's staying over an area for a very long period of time. And so when you can do that, you can, you can really change the game when it comes to doing things like pattern of life monitoring, understanding, you know, what's happening in, in an area underneath you. What, what, are the, what are people's movements and what are the kind of the, the patterns that evolve in understanding what's happening over an area of interest? From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, Downlink listeners. You heard that word, stratolite. It's a mashup of the words stratospheric or stratosphere and satellite. What it really refers to are massive payload-carrying balloons that travel or hover in near space. That's an altitude where the likes of Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin see economic opportunity, most notably for tourism. Worldview is another company in this suborbital market. It, too, is taking deposits from people who want to reach the edge of space in its pressurized Explorer capsule. But unlike the two other companies I just mentioned, it doesn't use rockets. It launches what the company calls a stratoballoon. When fully expanded, it would fill a football stadium. What's not so well known is that these balloons also provide the Department of Defense with suborbital services such as payload hosting, or in Worldview's case, persistent ISR data. That's intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance ultra-high-quality Earth observation. To get a better understanding of this little-known suborbital market, the business case, I spoke with Ryan Hartman, Worldview's CEO. Hello, Ryan. It's great to have you on the downlink. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we get into stratolites, first, I'd love for our audience to get to know a bit about you. As this podcast is a production of the Defense and Aerospace Report, I'd like to point out that your career started at the user end of the value chain. You are an Air Force and Navy veteran. Tell us a little about your journey to your present post as CEO of Worldview. Well, thanks. Uh, And yes, I guess I am rather unique in having had the opportunity to serve in both the Air Force and the Navy and uh, on the Air Force side, um, uh, really getting uh, in deep with understanding uh, what it means to be uh, a service member. And then on the Navy side, you know, the, the that's where I really sunk my teeth into the idea of remote sensing. And on P3s, you know, it was an amazing mission where we were hunting for submarines. Uh, and uh, and we did some other missions too, but uh, it, it really highlighted for me the benefit of aerial assets to be able to find something of strategic importance. Uh, and the kind of insights that you can uh, create by monitoring, you know, large areas. And so post my Navy career, I joined a really small firm in, in San Jose uh, called Tiburon Systems, and we were doing uh, mission control uh, systems for, uh, for Tomahawk cruise missiles. And uh, we were also doing uh, situational awareness systems for P3s and other aircraft. Uh, and so it really started to get me more into the idea of, 
of aerial assets in support of you know specific end objective. You know, back in those days, there was the the defense call it, uh, or consolidation that was happening. You know, in the in the '90s, so Tiburon got bought by Texas Instruments, and then Texas Instruments got bought by Raytheon, and so I got exposed to big defense, and uh, ultimately spent 13 years at Raytheon, where I had a great time. Really grew up as a as an executive in uh, the defense industry, uh, the aerospace and defense industry, and I had a unique opportunity to to join a UAV company called In Situ, where I uh, ultimately became CEO of In Situ um, and leading a company that was providing value-added uh, information, really from a purpose-driven uh, point of view. We evolved that company to the point you know, where we defined our purpose, uh, being that we existed to pioneer and innovate in all that we do. So we had a positive impact on people's lives and changed the course of history. And it really was a compass for us in, in applying our technology in a very purposeful way. And uh, Boeing bought that company, which was cool. And then I departed and um, was really wanting to stay in a purpose-driven industry you know, but I wanted to expand a little bit. And, uh, and so one of my good friends introduced me to Worldview and, and they were in need of a, of a leader. And, uh, and I saw the, the, the real potential in a company like Worldview and came here and it's been three years in two days. Worldview makes and launches aloft these enormous balloons. What was it about the company that inspired you to leave the lush Northwest for the deserts of Tucson, Arizona? I mean, well, when you were when you were first approached to lead Worldview, I mean, what did you even know about the company or flying super high altitude balloons? Well, I should point out that I'm born and raised in Arizona. So leaving the lush Northwest and coming back to the beautiful desert was not, was not a difficult decision. That said, you know, Worldview, um, they were doing some really interesting work. And I, you know, I, I knew a little bit about them, um, about us, mostly um, and just the, the research and development that was going on. You know, and I had read about Alan Eustace's uh, world, uh, world record-setting jump that he did uh, in collaboration with Worldview. And so I knew about him then, but I, but also just you know being in the aerospace and defense industry, I had been reading about them. And what what was intriguing to me was the uniqueness of the work that was going on here. The uniqueness of using a high altitude stratospheric balloon to create insights. And I saw great potential in it. You know, having spent you know my career in aerial imaging and the collection of data and remote sensing. You know, I just knew a lot of the challenges that existed in, in remote sensing and, and saw that a lot of those challenges were met by the technology that Worldview was bringing to the market. What are stratolites? I mean, we know they're balloons, but how high do they actually fly? How long can they stay up there? And what materials are used for the balloons and the gondolas? I mean, do you even call them gondolas? Well, we call it a stratocraft. Uh, you'll learn that we're we're good at you know, uh, a play on words, and so, you know, a stratolite, uh, uh, obviously being a combination of the stratosphere and the satellite, 
but then the stratocraft is the value-added end of the of the stratolite. So, the way a stratolite works is uh, there's there's a lift balloon, and then there's a ballast balloon, and then the stratocraft. The lift balloon um, obviously lifts the entire system into the stratosphere. It flies uh, between 50 and 75,000 feet. We can go much higher than that, uh, but 50 and between 50 and 75,000 feet is really our sweet spot. And with the lift balloon being able to get into the stratosphere, we then use the ballast balloon by pressurizing it with air that's in the stratosphere to create mass so we can descend the balloon. The reason that's important is when you combine the lift balloon with the ballast balloon uh, and you're able to control the amount of ballast that you put into uh, the system, that means you can control your altitude. And if you can control your altitude, you can take advantage of four directional winds that exist within the stratosphere and those winds being at, at different altitudes. And so now all of a sudden, if there's a control of altitude coupled with four directional winds, you can freely navigate in the stratosphere with no propulsion. And so that's what a stratolite is designed to do is freely navigate in the stratosphere using altitude as the mechanism for going in the direction that we want to go. The system, you know, being the, the, the navigable solution that it is, means that we can fly for a very long period of time because we can control where we go. So uh, the longest flight we've done is 45 days. And so that's our longest duration um, today. But the next generation will fly between 60 and 90 days. When you arrived at Worldview, the company had garnered $50 million in venture capital and Pima County's political and financial support. But just when your arrival was announced uh, that you were taking over the reins as CEO, it wasn't easy. I read that just days before the local press revealed that Worldview had not hired as many people as had been promised and that the investors and founders had, well, divergent views on the path forward to profitability. You know, there were hard feelings. So when you pulled into your new parking spot, what was your first priority? And what were, say, your top two or three challenges? You know, what did you do? Well, I wish I had a parking spot. <laughs> but, uh, the Pulling into the company and, and meeting the team, I mean, the first thing that I quickly uh, recognized, and I recognize this, you know, even through the process of getting to know the company before I decided to join, the team is what uh, makes this company different. It's a fantastic team, uh, very talented team eager to bring the technology to life and have a positive impact. And so, uh, so the first thing I, I did was just to get to know the team and understand, you know, the, the history and uh, understand the culture that existed to make sure that we had the culture that was necessary for us to, to move forward. Uh, and that was probably the most rewarding thing. And that was my number one priority. Uh, the other thing I learned is, you know, the customers were eager for us to make progress, eager for us to, you know, transition from being R&D focused into being operational focused. Uh, and that's something that uh, that even still today is, is a top priority of ours is to ensure that the systems that we are manufacturing are reliable, that they're predictable, and that our customers can count on us to show up and be where they need us to be and providing the data that they need us to provide when they need us to provide it. Um, you know, and some of the challenges were, you know, some of the the, the chatter, um, you know, outside of the core business. You know, there there had been chatter around, 
um, our relationship with Pima County. And, uh, and so just understanding that and getting to, to understand, you know, the source of that chatter, I quickly learned that uh, there was, there was just noise, you know, that the relationship with Pima County was a, was a, was just a strong relationship between a, a county that was eager to have companies like Worldview grow and prosper. And on the idea of headcount, uh, what was important for uh, Worldview and what is important for us today is to have the, the number of people necessary for us to be successful. And that's, that's true with any company, you know, that, uh, that you want to have the right type of people and the right number of people to be able to execute the plan at, uh, at hand. And so, you know, to this day, we continue to grow and continue to meet uh, our obligations of, of the lease that we have with Pima County uh, and are happy that, uh, that, that we meet those requirements. I saw a video of you explaining how Worldview reacted and met the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, how did the pandemic affect the business and how did the business retool for the pandemic? I mean, didn't you have the company make medical gear? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so at that time when, when, uh, when COVID was just emerging and we were all learning what the, the impacts were going to be on the economy and on small businesses, we learned that we weren't isolated, <laughs> um, that we too were impacted. And it was mostly from the, the investor side. But, you know, like, like any company that is purpose-driven, you know, we found a way to, to look at, you know, the challenges that were emerging in response to COVID. And one of the things that we saw was that the frontline workers uh, had a shortage of medical isolation gowns. And that was a really important tool for them to keep themselves safe as they were treating COVID-19 patients. And we realized that a surgical grade medical isolation gown could be, and in a lot of cases was made, of polyethylene plastic. Well, it just turns out that uh, stratospheric balloons made by Worldview are manufactured with what we call a linear low-density polyethylene. And so we uh, quickly created a design for a medical isolation gown, figured out how to use the, the manufacturing processes and the tools that we had to make medical isolation gowns and ended up uh, manufacturing many hundreds of thousands of medical isolation gowns in support of frontline workers. And we're, we're able to sell them at cost. And the important thing for us was that we were able to do that and contribute in a positive way, but also to, to maintain some meaningful employment for the team and uh, something that we're all quite proud of and something that we talk about frequently. So now that the company is on firm footing, explain what is Worldview's business model? Who is currently your primary customer or customers? And, and where do you and the investors want to take the business? Well, it all starts with why we exist, and that is that we exist to inspire, create, and explore new perspectives for a radically improved future. And so applying that to the business uh, has us in two primary businesses uh, within Worldview. The first is remote sensing, something that we were talking about already, you know, where we're using our stratolite to be able to take images uh, of the Earth or collect data of the Earth. We do so in a way that creates different and unique perspectives that are not available through any other remote sensing asset. And in turn, applying those to use cases where there can be a positive impact, you know, so, so uh, saving a life, uh, identifying a, a pipeline leak, maybe identifying foliage encroachment against a high voltage power line and preventing uh, a wildfire. And so 
knowing that that's our purpose and those are the kind of use cases that uh, um, that are important to us, um, it's easy then to understand that we're supporting uh, defense customers who are looking to better understand what's happening on the ground so that they might make uh, decisions on troop movements uh, and keep troops safe. We also apply it to oil and gas or high voltage or electric utilities companies who are um, operating high voltage power lines. And so on that side of the business, it's really uh, a focus on uh, selling data, selling imagery, selling insights. Uh, and, uh, and that's the business model. It's subscriptions or selling you know, uh, many days or weeks worth of uh, imagery or data to those customers. We have another side of our business, which is space tourism, using the same technology to take eight passengers to the edge of space so that they can view the earth from a, a vantage point that they've never experienced it before. And so when we talk about inspiring new perspectives, it's about putting customers in an environment where they gain a perspective that truly changes their life. It's an awe-inspiring, wondrous experience uh, that contributes to a radically improved future just through their own understanding of our earth. And so knowing that those are the two businesses that we're in, we're very excited about the future of the business. There's tons of interest just on the customer side, you know, but, but also just from a, a public side where people are rooting for our success and it feels good to, to see that uh, happening. And so you know, we'll continue to grow the business and we'll be a self-sustaining business. And you know, I look forward to Worldview being around for many decades, if not hundreds of years. I want to get into the defense sector for a moment. Your satellites offer a platform and a capability to deliver persistent ISR or intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance coverage for as long as or even more than a month. You know, mm-hmm. Who in the DOD is Worldview working with and what can you tell us about the program or projects uh, that you're working on? Well, uh, it won't be any surprise to you, Laura, that I can't share details, but I can share you some of the types of things that we're doing. Um, so, so the nice thing about a stratolite um, is it's operating five times closer to the Earth than the closest low Earth orbit satellite. And so that means just physics uh, are on our side, and therefore uh, we're producing imagery that's five times better than uh, that of the, uh, the closest LEO satellite. Um, but there's another very interesting capability that you're pointing out of the stratolite, and that is its ability to, uh, to be persistent. And so persistence can mean uh, a number of different things. Persistence could be, you know, a time on a path, but it can also be time in an area. And a stratolite has the ability to, to do what we call station keeping, meaning that it's, it's staying over an area for a very long period of time. And so when you can do that, you can, you can really change the game when it comes to doing things like pattern of life monitoring, understanding, you know, what's happening in, in an area underneath you. What, what, are the, what are people's movements and what are the kind of the, the patterns that evolve in understanding what's happening over an area of interest? And, and from an ISR perspective, that's a huge game changer. There's the ability to, to, to move pattern of life monitoring uh, from uh, measured in hours to measured in days or even weeks uh, with an un- unblinking eye. And so uh, so that's a very unique thing that has a very, I'll say, impactful benefit to customers who are interested in, in those kinds of missions. You know, this has made me wonder a bit about national aerospace because national aerospace 
at least uh, according to the United Nations and other you know, international agreements, national airspace goes all the way from the ground up to the Kármán line or to the edge of space. Has that mm-hmm. ever been a concern with stratolites? Because you're kind of in <laughs> sort of, a, I guess, a gray zone. I mean, has that been an issue? We don't operate as as if we're in a gray zone. You know, we we operate as though it's very black and white. And what I mean by that, Laura, uh, is we 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 operate as though we're operating in Class C or Class D aerospace or airspace, where you know it's rule controlled. And so we carry an ADSB transponder. We're constantly in communication with uh, air traffic control. Uh, we file a, a, a rough flight plan, I'll, I'll say, but um, but we're constantly operating, you know, as though we are flying an airplane. And so the reason we do that is because we know that's the responsible thing to do. We know it's the it's the it's the appropriate thing for us to be doing, and and just operating on under rules that don't yet apply. And that being the case, it's uh, we've never run into an issue. You know, for launch and recovery, we operate under FAA Part 101 or equivalents uh, in international uh, airspace regulations. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very important to us that we operate responsibly in an environment where, uh, where we can be trusted. I heard it said that the stratosphere is a wide open business opportunity. What's the business opportunity and why aren't more companies there to take advantage of it? Well, great question, Laura. And, you know, we referred to it as, uh, the emerging stratospheric economy, and, and we and we talk about it because there's an entire economy that is uh, available within the stratosphere, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, uh, one is the the types of capabilities that are available in the stratosphere. I've talked about space tourism, and we've talked about remote sensing, and one of the the, the key capabilities that we bring to the table with remote sensing is just the fact that we can produce such high quality imagery from the stratosphere. You know, but one uh, might think that just because it's very high quality that uh, that it's expensive. But that's the other thing that's really unique about the stratosphere um, is that it's not that expensive to access. Uh, we use uh, uh, stratospheric balloons that use helium uh, and in some cases, hydrogen to get to the stratosphere. And, and the cost of that is so much less than, than using a rocket propellants to put something into orbit. And so our cost basis is less, and therefore the price of, of the offerings are much, much less than, than anything that's going to get you into space. You know, and for an equivalent type of satellite you know, that's producing the highest quality of imagery in low Earth orbit, uh, one of the interesting things is the cost of the insurance policy to put that satellite into orbit is about the cost of us putting a satellite into the stratosphere. So, you know, that can give you a, a little bit of, of an idea of, of the cost difference of what we do versus uh, low Earth orbits. You know, but, but let me also be clear about something, and that is that I don't view myself or this company as a competitor to uh, low Earth orbit satellites. Not at all. I view us as an augmentation, yet an additional resource that produces uh, the type of of data and the type of insights that that only enable customers to learn more. You know, there are key benefits to uh, low Earth orbit satellites. You know, 
one of which is just the consistency and predictability of it. You know, when you're on an orbit, uh, you're not coming off of orbit unless something bad happens and you cover uh, space debris all the time. And, uh, and that's the only time that a, an orbit is disrupted is when it's pulled out of orbit and, and it turns into something that's more of a nuisance. But that's a, that's a key capability that, uh, that is important. It's, it's, it's reliable. Customers know when they're going to get imagery or when they're going to get data. And we're not quite as predictable and we're not quite as, um, I'll say, uh, on target when, we're, when, when customers necessarily need us to be. And so, so we augment and we produce something that is of value. And it's all that to say that the stratosphere is a fantastic place to operate. You know, it has its pros. It certainly has its cons, you know, but it is an economy that's going to continue to emerge. And I think you're going to see more and more players in the stratosphere. Now, there's one other question you asked here, and that is, why are more people not doing this? Well, it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reminded by that every time we have a visitor come to our, our headquarters here in, in Tucson, Arizona, it's Spaceport Tucson. Uh, and every time a, a, a person comes here for the first time, there is a common thing they say, and that is, I would have thought this was way easier than it is. There's so much technology that goes into uh, the work that we do, and, and it takes the team that we have in order for us to be able to, to have the success that we do. This is a hard problem, and uh, it takes uh, years, if not decades, of understanding how stratospheric ballooning works and then how to design a company around that very unique technology. So it will happen. There will be more players in the stratosphere uh, and it will, be, it will be the case because pioneers figured out how to, how to do this and created an, an economy you know, that, that, that as any economist will tell you, that once, that once someone is successful, uh, there will be a lot of uh, competitors that follow. And that's exactly you know, how the stratosphere is going to play out. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. It's been my pleasure. It's, uh, uh, it's been fun, and I really appreciate the work you do in, in covering space and, and aerospace and defense as a whole. So thank you, Laura. That's it for this week. But before I go, if you want to ride on one of these balloons, Worldview is planning its first passenger flights for 2024. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe and share with your friends. The downlink is available on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening. <laughs>